We're reading God's word as it's found in the book of Luke, the familiar words of the <clears throat> Christmas story. I'll be reading them from one of the modern versions. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has, has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God continue to instruct us through this portion of his word. Let us pray. Our Father, our service seems so puny, our gifts so inadequate, when we consider at this season of the year the greatest gift of all, the gift of thy Son, who though he was equal with God, made himself of no reputation and emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant, was made obedient even unto death, the death of a cross. And yet we thank thee for that gift, and we thank thee that because of that gift, all of our gifts are possible, and because of that gift, thou art able to take these gifts and use them for the furtherance of thy kingdom. Now, Father, we pray that thou wouldst speak through the rest of this service and cause our attention to be drawn in a fresh way to the babe who was born in the manger and who is our king, for we pray in his name. 
Amen. For Tori. You know, I was trying to think of some way to introduce our theme this morning that would be a little bit fresh, and so I started looking through some old books by F.W. Borum, who used to speak down at Anderson Auditorium. Uh, his books are in all of our preacher shelves and his illustrations in all our sermons. He was a very great uh, preacher. And uh, I found uh, he had very funny titles to things, and I saw a message called The Clockwork Mouse. Clockwork Mouse. That means you wind it up like a clock and it runs around. And I thought, what on earth has that got to do with the Incarnation? And so I looked it up and I read it. And you know, when you ask people about uh, remembering their birthdays, they can't remember their birthdays. They can't remember everything that they did on the 4th of July. But we have a remarkable facility for remembering what happens at Christmas. He remembered what happened to him at Christmas as a little boy because to his great delight, in those days you just got one gift, and the one gift that he got was a clockwork mouse. And he wound his little clockwork mouse up, and it ran all over the room, and he scared his old maid aunts, and he scared his grandmother, and he enjoyed playing with it. And then he decided that he would find out what made this little mechanical mouse work. And so he started taking it apart. And it was a great deal of fun to take it apart. But curiosity got the best of him. He couldn't put it back together again. And the rest of the day was a very sad Christmas day for him because the clockwork mouse wouldn't go back together. So he said this made him think about what happened when we were sad at Christmas. And he said there was an element of contagion that entered into Christmas, the enthusiasm that everyone gets into that people have already alluded to this morning, uh, where we call it the spirit of Christmas, but it really gets into the spirit of commercialism a great deal of the time, and so this leaves us with a flat uh, feeling. Uh, there are some good things there, though, and that is that it provides us with an opportunity to show kindness in a way that we don't normally do all the other times of the year, but which we ought to do more. And it also gives us a new time to look at something that's very important. Now, the wonderful thing about the real meaning of Christmas is that we don't have to worry about not being able, uh, about it coming apart and staying apart. You can look as scrupulously as you want to to that account which was read to you a moment ago from the Gospel according to Luke. And in it you will find that what God brings about stays together in a wonderful, wonderful way. If you look at uh, the Luke chapter 2, you will find that uh, there are details that are given there in just seven verses. In fact, the careful historian uh, Luke gives us four details of time. He gives us five details about people. He gives us seven details about historical facts. And he even gives one detail about a baby's, the baby's clothing. And this to me uh, shows you something of the care with which God wanted us to know about the advent of his son. And who does he appear to? In that second chapter of Luke, which all of us have got down, we know that 
God made his great disclosure to some shepherds who were living out in the country. They were poor people. God chose to reveal himself to some simple, non-affluent folk. Now there were wise men who come later and present their gifts to Christ. They were presumably very wise and very wealthy too. It doesn't mean that when one becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus that he has to put his brain aside or his bank book either. It means that his learning and his wealth all come under the Lordship of Christ. But it is worth noticing that our God and Heavenly Father, when he chose to reveal himself to the children of men, revealed himself to toilers, workers in the field, of uh, people who were often despised, who could not even give their testimony in court because they were thought to be dishonest. They had a way of mixing up what's mine with thine uh, in a way that caused people not to always trust in what they had to say. In fact, the law forbids you to buy milk or wool or even a little baby goat or, or sheep uh, from one of the shepherds because presumably it would have been stolen. And so their reputation was not so great. And yet God reveals himself to these people uh, out in the country. Uh, they were workers. And how does he reveal himself? He brings to them, he brings to them uh, a startling revelation. Uh, the word in Luke 8 says there were some shepherds living in the same part of the country keeping guard throughout the night over their flock in the open fields. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord stood by their side. And the splendor of the Lord blazed around them, and they were terror-stricken. Uh, the word there in Greek is the word from which we get phobia. There is a great fear that comes upon them. Why would they be afraid? They would be afraid because ever since man has sinned, he has broken his relationship with God, and any intrusion that God brings causes him to be afraid. He is afraid. And yet God speaks to them. He speaks by his angel, and the angel's first message to them is not Merry Christmas, but don't be afraid. And then he says, listen, I bring you glorious news of great joy which shall be to all people. He is bringing great news, and the great news which he brings is not just for one little group of people, but for all the people in all the world till the whole end of time comes. And then he tells them, for this day in David's town, a savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. They would have known about the hope of the coming of the Messiah the anointed one of God who should come. And this would have brought to them a great deal of joy at that time. Uh, and then you see this choir that comes in a flash. There appeared with the angel a vast host of the armies of heaven. 
I used to think of this when I was a little boy as just one angel at first and then a few more angels. But when God does something, he does it on a very little scale that explodes into something enormously big because there must have been thousands upon thousands of angels that appeared. And they were praising God in song, in power, this enormous chorus of gods from heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven, peace upon earth among men of goodwill. This anthem which they sung was God's own anthem and his own choir sung it and he sung it to these humble shepherds that were there in the field. This is something that brings to our hearts encouragement. It means that God will reveal even to the lowliest of us a great message, a message that even though we're frightened by the condition of the world, we see the hands on the atomic clock move forward to three minutes till 12 now. And we wonder with all of the fear that exists about uh, nuclear exchanges and missiles and the inadequate knowledge that we have of what goes on in Russia, what on earth can happen? Well, God is still in control. There is no panic in heaven. There are plans, and God is working his purposes out, and we are to trust in God. The words that the psalmist would have sung years before that some of these shepherds would have known would have been trust in the Lord and don't be afraid. And so in a time when men's hearts failed them for fear, we may trust in God. And then they are told this exciting news, and they are told to do something about it. They are to go into Bethlehem, and when they go into Bethlehem, they are to see this little baby. The article of clothing is described as the strips of cloth that he would be wrapped with as God's own signature, indicating to them that this is the one. This is the one. And so they came, and they found Mary, and they found Joseph, who were not there by some trick of fate, but they were there by the hand of God. When Caesar Augustus had signed that decree in Rome, he was doing what God meant him to do. And God's forces were at work in drawing his people to the place where prophecy would be fulfilled and where his servants would see this little one who had been supernaturally conceived and now he is born into the world. And then they go and they worship him. God's good news calls forth worship from our hearts. That's why we came here this morning. We wanted to put aside some of the commercialism that goes with Christmas and we wanted to worship God. That's why I had picked uh, for uh, our statement of faith, the Nicene Creed, because it has the greatest statement about the incarnation, that Christ is for us men and for our salvation come down from heaven. Now that's a remarkable thing. 
The incarnation is for our salvation. Never forget that. That we are not simply following Jesus as a great example, but he is our savior. A great example might set for me a pace that I can't match up to. It wouldn't do me any good if I were drowning and an Olympic swimmer jumped in the water and said, look at my example, follow me. I can't swim that good. But if someone came in and came out for me and rescued me, that would make the difference. And so what God has done is he has come amongst us and he has come to save us, to save us from our sin, to save us from our fear, and to give us salvation forever. And this calls forth from us worship, so we're here. And it's all given with love. The purpose of it is love. Peace among men given by God. Now people always ask, were the angels wrong? There's no peace in the world. Well, the angels were not wrong. And if men sought first God's glory, there would be peace in our hearts. But the trouble with us all is that all too often we don't seek God's glory. And so we do not know God's peace. The shepherds went and they saw this. They checked the story out. And then they came back to their fields. They glorified God. And they glorified God by carrying out their work. And that's what we have to do. We come to church, we recognize the fact that God has come and dwelt among us to save us from our sins and to give us the promise that he is with us. But then we have to go back to work. And when we go back to work, it won't be with the flat feeling, but it will be with a sense of the fact that we are never never, never alone, that God is with us, we will thank him and we will share our testimony with others. These shepherds did. They told others about the Savior. The greatest thing that we could do is to freshen our hearts with the knowledge of the fact that God is with us and determine that in the days that lie ahead and in the new year that follows, that we are going to do our best to tell someone else about the Savior so that they will come to know him too. One reason I wanted Dr. Robert Barker to speak this morning was that I'm impressed with the dedication of these marvelous young people. They're not little children anymore. They're grown men and women with children of their own. And yet they want others to know about Christ at their Bible study at Winston-Salem, at the Bible studies at Duke, at the Bible studies at other places where many of you are, you are trying to bring that good news of the Savior to others and to keep it fresh in your own hearts. And now God uses Franklin Graham with the Samaritan's Purse organization to help some of these go to Nepal and some to Zaire and so it goes on and on. That's the way God means for it to go, through those who tell others, and it keeps on going. 
This has been a sad Christmas in a way for some of us here. Within eight, within one week before Christmas, two from our own community have died suddenly with heart attacks. And then last night when we opened gifts on Christmas Eve, when we had started this process after supper, I got a telephone call that caused me to break up in tears. Dan Carlton, a minister in our presbytery, a dear sweet man of God up at Barnardsville in Dillingham, who served little tiny churches all of his long ministry, had a heart attack and died at the supper table last night. I thought about his daughters who've been here at school, and it hurt for a while. But, you know, when I thought about Dan, he's one of those sweet, simple believers who was always telling someone else about Jesus. I, I thought last night, Dan will be passing out tracts in heaven. <laughs> he, he, he just that way. He lived it all the time, and he lived it in love. And uh, so, after the initial shock wore away, I began to think that that's what Christmas is about, that God has come and he shared our pain, he shared our sorrow, and he keeps on sharing it, that he is with us and he will never let us go, and that one day he'll come back again and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we bless thee for this sacred time and for all of the inspiring thoughts that you have given to people who are gifted in music and art and in speech. And we're thankful for those sacred things which only your Holy Spirit can bless us by. You know each of our hearts. The greatest gift that we may give you is the innermost parts of our being. And we want you to truly reign in us so that we may live our lives out in a way that will glorify you we seek your pardon and your forgiveness for those things which we have done which are not agreeable to your will. And we pray that you will take from us on this Christmas day, take away from us our sins, and that you will inspire in our hearts a desire to live 100% for you every single day is a gift of love and gratitude for the salvation you have brought to us. We do pray for friends of ours who have this joyous time tinged with hurt because of their missing of loved ones who are now gone into your presence, and we ask for them your comfort and peace. We do praise you for the gift of our children and for the opportunity we have uh, to see examples of strong men and women of faith 
Help us to encourage others in this faith too. And bless us that we may live lives that will uh, bring uh, honor to the name of Christ. And use those thoughts which you have prompted in our mind today to lead us to deeper dedication. For Jesus' sake, amen.